This exhortation was brought to you by the Light Bearers, bringing light until there's no more darkness. The Egyptians behind, um, they, they kept wandering, you know, into the wilderness and all of that. And about three months after, they eventually arrived at the base of Sinai and Moses, which was their leader, the one who rescued them, went to meet with God. And God, you know, started for the first time telling them about who they are, you know, as um, the nation of Israel and all of that. So um, just trying to define them, trying to tell them exactly their identity, because that's a bit difficult when you're coming from slavery, when that's all you know, praise God. So, you know, that re-education was what God was trying to do. But beyond that, he also needed to um, give them a path, give them like codes and conduct because they were on the verge of like self-destructing all right because without um without just they just didn't have any code they just had nothing you know so god had to bring those laws so that's actually where the law of moses came from and we looked at some of those laws we looked at how that many of those laws if you look deeply they had a reason they were just not laws but almost like you can't communicate the real reason so you just give a law you say don't do this but the reason is because you don't want your neighbor to have an accident but you can't say maybe because you think you, so you just say it just say don't do this so the laws many of the laws looked strange you know but that was a deep reason just to self-preservation to make sure these people don't self-destruct all right and we also looked at how um it was you know of course it was a serious business moses they had to kind of like consecrate themselves before that before meeting with god and all of that um but we looked at how that the law was futile because even just as moses was coming down with the ten, uh, with the tablets the, the ten commandments they were already breaking the, the first law you know, they were already aaron and the others were already like making a golden calf you know so and if you remember the story well he went to a good um, Sunday school as a kid, you, re you remember that Moses broke those tablets and, you know, because Moses was just angry, like, I've just barely even come back, like, I just went briefly and already behaving so, um, you know, wantonly and all of that. So uh, Moses did that, but of course, Moses calmed down after a while, reconciled, tried to um, just, um, just reconcile all of that, then he gave them a new set of laws and all of that all right so the law was always shaky you know as we quickly established the law was was they, they, the reason they kept breaking it was because they didn't have it in them to keep the law they didn't have the they didn't have it in them praise the lord you know that's why even when moses was coming down from the mount and he saw Aaron as he was coming i was like was hearing a lot of reverend a lot of parties and things like that and it was like ah, is there a party happening in, you know, I, I just paraphrase now. And they were like, no. Then he got closer and he saw them like worshipping and all of that. And then when he went to meet Aaron to challenge him, like, why did you do that? He said, you know the people you left behind. You know that their hearts are evil. You understand? Which is very instructive because the heart of man, natural man that is, cannot please God naturally. It wants to do something else. You know, so that's how the law was. All right. So they were always going to fail it. They're always going to mess up the laws, praise God. So the law was always shaky. 
All right. And that's why there's something instructive in Matthew 19. Uh, we said all of this the other time as well. Matthew 19, verse 3. Um, this was a story of when the Pharisees, you know, came to Jesus the way they often did, you know, trying to tempt him, trying to make him say, you know, um, speak at me. So they came to him in Matthew 19, 3. And they said, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Now, Jesus just answered normally. He said, um, I don't want to read all of it, but he said, essentially, Jesus said, no, you can't do that. You can't put away your wife. What that means is you can't divorce your wife. You can't leave your wife. And he went on to say, didn't you read from the beginning that God instituted that a man would leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they'll become one flesh? So I was saying, didn't you read that? So why are you asking if you can leave your wife? So the Pharisees were smart. There was a reason they asked the question. You know, so they jumped at that and they said, why then did Moses give a writing of, um, a command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? You know, because the truth is that if you look through the laws of Moses, there's a part where Moses actually said you can divorce, all right? So it was almost like it was contradicting what Jesus is saying. You know, they were, because they were trying to trap him. But listen very closely to what Jesus Jesus' response. He said, I'll read this in verse 8. It says, He said unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Praise God. This is very, very instructive. In fact, this anchors a lot of things. It says, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts. I hope you know when we talk to say Moses, we also mean the law, we mean, you know, um, um, the old covenant, all of that. So it says, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Praise the Lord. So it, this is, if you read closely, it's saying, this was not the original configuration, but it was done for one reason, because of the hardness of your hearts. But from the beginning, it was not so. It was not the original configuration. Praise the Lord. So that was the law. That was what the law brought. The law was something um, that just had to be done to prevent the Israelites from self-destruction. You know, like I said the other time as well, um, the Israelites only knew one um, way of life. It was slavery. All right? That was the only thing they knew. So God had to use something similar to that to rein them in. You know, he had to use um, something that they knew, a language that they understood, that they understand very well, which is almost like a, someone teaching, someone giving instructions. That's why he brought the law. That's why the Bible says in Galatians 3 and 24, it says the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. The word for schoolmaster is the word pedagogue, which I explained the other time as well. It means it's like all those like tutors that they have for their little kids, you know, until they get to adolescence, they give them instructions, almost like a just they're like slaves but they teach them how to you know this how to do this this is how to they also discipline them hard a bit um hard to you know so that they can grow up to be decent human beings you know so the, this is the same term that paul uses the law was our pedagogue the law was our schoolmaster praise the lord so the law came for a purpose you understand to to reign the israelites in praise the lord so in a way, you can say the law was an emergency solution, you know, to quickly bring some semblance of sanity until God's preferred plan arrived. Praise the Lord. 
And as Moses quickly re realized, you know, even after bringing the law, you know, they kept on breaking the law and all of that. They would, you know, but it was just a patchwork. They were told for sin this year. The next day they have to, you know, sacrifice lambs and all of that. It was always just a patchwork. You know, we all knew that everyone Israelites knew that this was not was not a lasting um, solution. Praise the Lord! It was just something that, like, you could just feel it that this is not it. And guess what? God also knew. God didn't doesn't really respect the law. I mean, it had a purpose, but that was not God's preferred way of doing things. God doesn't like a master-slave relationship. He doesn't like to say do this once. For example, when we talk about giving you know he doesn't want you to give because oh it's a ah give he wants you to give because you love him you know same with service he doesn't he doesn't it's a heart of like thanksgiving all right but we'll get to that later so that was the law was an emergency solution you know to rein the israelites in the law was a caricature that's why jesus said from the beginning it was not so from the beginning it was not so what does that mean so what was at the beginning you know, we also looked at this the other time. You know, if you look at Galatians 3 and 17, you realize that the law was not the first covenant. There was actually a previous covenant. In fact, the law was an interruption of something that happened before. You know, if you look at Galatians 3 and 17, it says, what I mean is this, reading from the NIV, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenants previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. Very clear. You know, so he's saying the law, which came 430 years after an initial law, an initial covenant, does not set aside the initial one previously established by God. Praise the Lord. So the law was just a temporary stopgap. Hallelujah. So if he says the law came 430 years after, what was the initial one? What was the previous one? You know, what was the original one that um, this interrupted? It was the covenant God made with Abraham. Praise the Lord. You know, the Bible's came to um god came to um abraham in genesis 12 and verse 1 he said um from verse 1 to 3 i'll just quickly read it now yahweh said to abraham go forth now these are the terms of the covenant now that i'm going to be reading it says go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which i will show you and i will make you a great nation and i will bless you and make your name great and you shall and you shall be a blessing and i will bless those that bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Praise the Lord. This was the initial one. He says, I will make you a great nation. Now, if you notice, there were no terms and conditions. He, said, he didn't say, I will make you a great nation if you kill five rams. Or if you don't do things on the day of Sabbath. Or if you do, no. It was just free. Praise the Lord. That's the covenant he made with Moses. He says, I will make you, I myself will, will make you. A great nation i will bless you and i will make your name great then you shall be a blessing and i will bless those that bless you and the one who curses you i will curse and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed you know he reiterated the same thing in verse six you know god repeating the same thing the bible says abraham passed through the land as far as the site of session to the oak of moray now the canaanites was there in my hand yahweh appeared to abraham and said to him to your descendants i will give this land so, so he built an altar there to Yahweh who had appeared to him. You know, same thing in chapter 13. God kept on telling, giving Abraham these promises. You know, Bible says, Yahweh said to Abraham, after the Lord had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are 
northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. You know, um, next verse, um, it says, Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Then Abraham moved his tents and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, and which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So this was the original covenant, which came 430 years after this interruption, which, which is the law. Praise the Lord. You know, it was the covenant of, I will do it. Just trust me. You know, a covenant of faith. All right. So while Moses brought the law to, um, to, to just act as a stopgap, this law wasn't was still was still was still present. It was just a bit quiet at that moment, you know, because that was God's preferred um, God's preferred plan. Praise the Lord. God never liked the law. God never liked the law. I mean, the law had a reason. The Bible says the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Praise the Lord. You know, if you read Galatians three and ten, the Bible says, "For as many as are of the works of the law are under under the curse." Which is written, curses everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. You know, because the law, because you can't fulfill it, 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 it brings you a curse in a way. You know, it was, it's just a it's it's a reminder of the of of your your states, in a manner of speaking. You know, Bible. If you read on Bible, I mean, verse eleven, it says, "But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of the Lord, for it is evident, for it is evident the just shall live by faith." That is God's preferred way. He says no man is justified by the law in the sight of the Lord. So God didn't want laws, you know, because they represent a master-slave relationship. Praise the Lord. And as we so said um, the last time, we looked at how that um, what God wanted was what he promised to Abraham. He wanted, a, he wanted to be their God and they his people. You know, that's why in Genesis 17 and 7, it says, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants and after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. You know, we looked at Jeremiah 31, 33, where he said, I will be their God and they will be my people. That is what God always wanted. Not laws, praise the Lord. He wanted to be our God. He wanted to be family, praise the Lord. You know, same thing, you know, um, First Peter 2 it says we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, you know, an assembly of people, who, you know, the ecclesia. I wanted to, that's what he wanted to do. You know, he wanted just a dwelling. You know, that's why he said in Revelation 21, verse 3, it says, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them. Praise the Lord. So that's what he wanted. He wanted a family, a loving family, a family of faith. And that's what he promised Abraham. Praise God. So that was God's preference, you know. And um, you know, if we look, we look a bit further and how that, and so how that that was, his. In fact, Paul called what he told Abraham those several thousand years ago. He called it the gospel. You know, Galatians three eight. It says, the the scripture preached the gospel beforehand to to Abraham. That is the gospel. Praise the Lord. Um, so. Um, I just wanted to take us through all of this so that as we have a bit of context before I, I continue. Um, then finally, we went into how um, the diff some fundamental dif differences between the law and um, 
covenant of faith which we have you know first of all how that god now writes his laws on our hearts and minds on like the laws that were written on tablets of stone in the time of um, moses now he has written them on our hearts you can find them in ezekiel 36 you know secondly we find that god has given us access to know him intimately you know like prior to the or like in the old covenants where they could not even behold the face of moses the messenger not to talk of god himself but now we can say we have god on our inside we are the temple of god you know all of that is because of his new um, covenant you know we looked at that then finally we also looked at how god you know like the old covenant where they, they atoned for sins once every year now god has forgiven all our sins and beyond that, it says he will remember no more meaning he would have selective amnesia about our sins he won't remember you know vital very vital so we don't have that burden anymore so we look at those fundamental differences last week so at this point before we move on let's just um, say a word of prayers um having looked at all of these things we can clearly see that um, jesus had a very a specific mandate praise god you know when i read john there's this very interesting verse of scripture in john when he says there was a man sent from god his name was john you know and uh, i remember someone just mentioned it how, how, how mentioning how that that is one of the best ways you can describe someone you know there was a man sent from god they didn't say that was a um that was a mechanic or that was an um aeronautical engineer or so that was a distance it says that was just a man sent from god you know his name was john and that was to show you how john had a he had a singular um desire singular focus you know um in his ministry same thing you can say of, of jesus you know jesus was a the same way he was he had was very laser sharp in his focus and if you if you be paying attention to what we've been saying you see why you know because it's until jesus christ died that he was actually able to bring about that um covenant to abraham in reality but that's when it was actually fulfilled so jesus knew this he had his specific mandate and he lived that way you know he knew that there was a covenant to bring that's why when you know, if you remember the story I said earlier about those Pharisees who tried to trap him, when he says from the beginning it was not so, you know, he was speaking because when he, once he answered the question initially, he was just talking normally. That no, if you read Genesis, says a man and a woman will come together and they will become one flesh. There's no divorce here, you know. But based on that, said, oh Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, that's why Moses did that. You know, so many places you could see that. Jesus wasn't really, like, he knew that this Lord, this thing that you people are hyping so much, especially the Pharisees, he knew that was not the real focus because the Pharisees were so, um, so proud, so confident in what Jesus has called a curse to you. Praise the Lord. You know, they'll say an eye for an eye. Jesus will say, no. They'll say, oh, you can't do things on the day of Sabbath. Just like, no, that's not the real point of all of this. You are, you are missing the point. You are missing the focus. So Jesus didn't really respect the law. I mean, he came to fulfill it. By that, it means he came to bring about the real one, the original one. That's how you fulfill the law. Praise the Lord. So Jesus had a specific mandate. He was a man on a mission. Hallelujah. You know, if you read, um, um, this should be Philippians 2 from verse 5. Um, NKJV says, Let this man be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, 
but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. Imagine Jesus, God, the Word, become flesh. You know, he says, I'm being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. I just wanted to read the whole thing. You know, so if you, when, by reading this, a few things jump to us. First of all, Christ was willing. Why? It was because of the um, enormity of the task ahead. He was very willing to do the job. You know, it was always about the will of the Father. You know, Bible says, records early in his life as a little kid um, in the temple. If you remember the story of when his, um, um, his parents thought he was with them and they had left and they later came back and they found him in the temple discussing with the rabbis and the, um, you know, the rabbis in the temple. And Jesus said, he reminded them that he must be about his father's business. You know, so Jesus had a mandate. You know, I'm saying all of this to show us a to show us exactly the value of what we have. It wasn't convenient for Jesus, but it was the only way. He knew. Praise the Lord. You know, he laid down his, Bible says in Philippians, like we read earlier, it says he laid down his godness, so to speak, his godness and partook of the lowest punishment for us. That's just me paraphrasing. You know, Bible says in Hebrews 2 and 14, let me read, it says, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise himself took part of the same. That through death, he might destroy him that has the power of death, that is the devil. Praise the Lord. You know, Isaiah 53 verse 3, that's one of my favorite portions of scripture in the Old Testament. You know, I like, I just like the entire verse. If you read verse 3, it says, He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as we were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. You know, that's what Jesus Christ did. Why? Because of what he knew was going to bring. Praise the Lord. Uh, you know, the Bible says he endured so many things. You know, he endured temptations in Matthew 4. The devil came. You know, if you read to the end of Matthew 4, it says, I think uh, it says the devil, after failing to um, tempt him successfully, it says he left him for a season, meaning he kept on tempting Jesus. So these are things Jesus, I mean, it was okay where he was in heaven, you know, but he did all of this for us, endured temptation. You know, was constantly misunderstood, like those Pharisees, constantly having to explain himself, constantly trying to be strapped. You know, he was. They tried to kill him many times. You know, as a point where you know so many things that Jesus endured. You know, and of course we know how everything culminated towards the end of his life. Um, how he was subjected to a, a very unfair trial. They even released a hardened criminal for him and all of that he was beaten he was scourged you know um um in john 19 the bible records how that they um he had to carry his bloody cross by himself you know down to a place called golgotha you know so i'm not trying to whip up something i'm just trying to just um just take us on a small journey so it wasn't point is that it wasn't um convenient it was a big deal you know, and beyond that, even on the cross, you know, the Bible says, you know, in John 19, the Bible says they gave him vinegar to drink and all of that. But something I want us to look at very 
close before we continue. The Bible says, Now, when Jesus had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Praise the Lord. And um, we all know that he had what the entire thing hadn't been finished, you know, because he still had to descend and ascend, he still had to resurrect, he still had to offer, he still had to, you know, so many things. So, what had finished? You know, so I'll just pause here and take us on a journey um, back to the Old Testament. And once we are done, we'll just close. You know, so we'll look at a an interesting passage in Genesis, you know, as I, as I begin to wind up to a close. Um, if you remember, as I said earlier, in, in Genesis chapter 12, um, God made, in fact, chapter 12, chapter 13, God many times made promises to, to Abraham. You know, in verse chapter 2, it says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. You know, this was God's promise to um, Abraham and he repeated the promise in the same chapter 12, repeated in 13. So God came again in verse 15, you know, to remind Abraham of those promises that he had made to him. But at this time, guess what? Abraham was tired of those promises. You know, if you read it closely, I don't want to um, have us open there. But if you read it closely, Abraham was just not ready. Abraham said, is enough of all these promises. He says, what will you give me now? Seeing I go childless. What Abraham was saying is, I'm tired of all these um, promises, all this... Uh, yeah, yeah. You, I will bless you. I will do this. Say, what will you give me now? I want to see something now. Don't give me promises of the future. I want to see something now. So God was disappointed. God realized that Abraham had started doubting. And if you look at the story of Abraham, you know, through the scriptures, it's all about faith. Even this covenant we're talking about, it's all about faith. You know, God realized that Abraham had started to doubt. And God Doubt does not, doubt and God, they don't, they don't mix. God doesn't, um, it's, 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 his, his works don't, don't thrive in an atmosphere of doubt. So God decided to do something, you know. Um, so he asked for Abraham's, um, he, 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 he did some research. Let me just um, borrow, borrow that term on Abraham's city, where Abraham is from and decided to take a cue from there and to demonstrate something to Abraham based on something that Abraham knew culturally. Now, let me explain what I mean. In Abraham's um, area of town, you know, they have a something they call the covenant-making ceremony, you know, and a good way to say it is a ceremony to end doubts, praise the Lord, you know. So in the covenant-making ceremony, which... Abraham knew very well. Anyone from Abraham's time just knew it. It was something that was popular in those days. There are two sets of people, the farmers and the fighters. You know, fighters are the people who, you know, go to war. They are very muscular, very strong because they are hardened from war. They know they have all of these skills of war. But the farmers are just that. They are farmers. All they do is crops. So obviously, they are not strong. Praise God. But they are skilled at farming. So, um, what became apparent after a while was that the farm, the the soldiers, the fighters were because they were too focused on um, fighting. They didn't have enough time to plant. Not even just enough time, or they even didn't know how to plant. Also, 
the farmers can plant, but when whenever the enemies come, just lay, the, uh, lay them on like under siege. They'll quickly steal their crops, ravage their barns, and take all of their food. And they couldn't defend themselves because they are farmers. Farmers don't um, fight, praise the Lord. So after a while, the farmers and the fighters decided that we'll come and have a pact, praise the Lord. We'll have a covenant, so to speak. And they call it a covenant to end doubt. Amen. So the covenant is such that the fighters don't have to farm. The farmers will provide them the food. And the farmers don't have to fight. The fighters would protect them. Praise the Lord. You know, and I mean, it's, it's not enough to say, oh, I'll do this. I promise you I'll do this. They had to make an actual covenant, which Abraham was very familiar with, you know, because it was culturally relevant in his town. You know, just follow closely. You know, so um, what would happen is the elders of the farmers, the representative of the farmers would meet with the representative of the fighters and they would cut the covenant. You know, before that, they would have discussed the terms and conditions of the covenant. They would, every single, if it's about 50,000 yams for each family or this, they would know exactly like the terms and, you know, so that there are no surprises. Amen. So they would discuss the terms of the covenant. They would agree. And when they agree, um, they will come to each of the families and they will share the terms of the covenant and they will talk about it. And all of you, everyone would agree as well. So once everyone agrees, they will move forward. Now, here's what happens with the covenant. They would bring animals and a priest will slice those two and those animals into two or four halves. You know, so like that would be like a line. They'll slice them in the middle and the, the animal will fall in, on either side of the line. Praise the Lord. And they'll keep on doing that. And that's um, slides would form a, like a line in the middle of all the animals that are being um, sliced, you know. And then on one end of the line, the elder representatives of the farmers will be there. On the other end of the line, the representatives of the elders will be there. And then they will walk from either side towards each other. And as they are doing that, they are stating the terms of the covenant. You know, they are saying, oh, I, you know, representative of the Farmers, I pledge this day that if this is, they'll just be saying all of that, you know, and then they'll be walking slowly. It will be witnessed by everyone. They'll be walking through the blood. Praise God. They'll be walking through that, you know, causing a bloody trail, you know, and eventually they would meet in the middle. Then when they get to the middle, they'll cut themselves, you know, uh, mix their blood, you know, then they will mark everybody on either side of both families. At that moment, something strategic has happened. They've caught the covenant such that um, if anyone attacks any of the farmers, the horde of fighters would ravage that person. They would kill them because all of a sudden they've become brothers. They've become one. Same way the, the fighters can never starve anymore because they now have a covenant. Something has happened. Praise the Lord. And it was taken very seriously. They could not bring that covenant. You know, so they became blood brothers. So what I described just now is called the walk of blood that the fighters and the um, farmers did. Praise the Lord. You dare not touch one farmer. Otherwise, the entire fighters will fight you. So God knew that. You know, if you remember how we started about how God came to Abraham and God told him about those promises, tried to remind him. 
and everyone was saying, just uh, what will you give me now? Seeing I, I go childless, you know. So God decided that I will do this for Abraham. You know, if you read a very interesting story in Genesis 15, you know, I just didn't want to have us read all of it. You know, I will do this for you, Abraham, because he knew that this is something that Abraham understood. So God decided I will cut a blood covenant with you. Praise God. You know, and God, and that happened, you know, if you read um, from verse, um, let's say, let's say from verse 7, from verse 7, you know, so Bible records how that from Abraham, so God told Abraham that, oh, okay, let's call the covenant, you know, you bring three animals, um uh, and like two birds i think and you caught them in that way so god abraham brought all of those um items you know the bible says and abraham caught the three animals into two and stood the two house against the walls of a trench he had earlier dog you know so abraham did not cut the birds into two but he just made the same setup you know he wanted to come into a covenant with god you know but how many of you know that you can't come into a covenant with god you know because you're a man and God is God, you know. So in essence, when God was ready to do the covenant, just to cut the long story short, God started walking on one side. But Abraham would not. Abraham was dead. You can't go into a covenant with God. You know, if you read Genesis 15 verse 12, the Bible says, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham and a dread and terrifying darkness fell on him. You know, this dread is just something to represent. It's a Hebrew way of saying Abraham was terrified. Because you can't come into a covenant with God. You are man. Praise the Lord. So God started, if you read uh, fast forward to verse 17, the Bible says, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. And God, God started passing through the bloody trail on his own. Abraham was not able to because Abraham was dead. You know, figuratively, not, not literally dead. You know, the Bible says he had fallen into a deep sleep. So what does this mean? That covenant from those olden days could not, wasn't complete. Because it takes two people to complete the covenant. It took the farmers and the fighters to complete the covenant. God went alone. The other person could not. Praise the Lord. It wasn't complete. You need two parties. No man could enter into a covenant with God until Jesus. Praise the Lord. Several thousand years after. That's why when Jesus said it is finished, this is, I mean, there have been a few theories and all of that, but this is like possibly one of those things that he was saying is finished. Because while Jesus was dragging his bloody cross, you know, down to Golgotha, doing everything dripping his blood, finally there was a man able to come into a covenant with God and, and stand. Praise the Lord. That was Jesus completing the covenant on our behalf. Praise the Lord. So that is... Um, so as he met God at the middle, the covenant was complete. If you notice, none of this had anything to do with you. Praise the Lord. So he did it all for us. That was the point of the covenant. That was the, that was the, um, that was the goal. That was the, what he brought. Let's go ahead and give God thanks here as, um, as, um, for what we've heard so far before we continue. I want you to pray, you know. Um, just thank him, just appreciate him. You know, it wasn't, it really isn't about you. You know, the Bible, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, it says, um, uh, 
For by grace are you saved. By grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It was the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It really was not about you. Amen. He did it all for you from the beginning till the end. You had no part to play in it. I mean, that's the beauty of it. That's why we come humbly. That's why we, we know that nothing really, we really have nothing. We had no play. If, we, if it was about, oh, we, we, we did a small part. No, we did nothing. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1 and 29, it says that no flesh should glory in his presence.